Well, and the funny saying. thing is, a, a lot of people, they think they're getting a leadership coach or if they need a leadership coach because they really need fixing. And that's yes. far from the case. <laughs> As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr., Hello, Talent Magnet community. I just wanted to uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode. You are going to hear from one of our faculty, Don Frerichs, who is leading an extraordinary leaders series as a part of the Talent Magnet platform. Don is one of our longstanding faculty members. He's an incredible coach, an incredible leader, and he is highlighting extraordinary leaders as a part of this series. So we hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in. And without further ado, I turn it over to Don. Thank you for joining the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. This is Don Frerichs, guest host for Mike Sipple. And today we are taping the Extraordinary Leader Series, the program that attempts to uncover what it takes to become an extraordinary leader. Today with me is Steve Hess from LexisNexis. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing good, Don. Thanks for having me today. I greatly appreciate it. I'm thrilled to have you, and I'm sure our listeners are too. It's not often that we get somebody that has, what, almost nearly 50 years worth of experience. You told me you just retired in January of this year, huh? That is true. Yes. January 4th was my last day, and I turned 70 in July, so it worked out perfectly. (laughs) Fantastic. I love it. And you said you had three tour of duties at at Lexus, and I I thought that was so funny you put it that way. I did. I left and came back twice. They are very forgiving. (laughs) That's the way it goes. Knowing a little bit about your background, we're both University of Dayton graduates, go Flyers, and love meeting other fellow Flyers. And I didn't tell you this story when we talked earlier. I also studied in the School of Education for a while, thought I wanted to come out and be a a high school administrator and a basketball coach. and, And I also went to Belmont High School, and that's where I did my student teaching. I know that's where you went out and, and you started your teaching career, right? Correct. Yes. And I'll tell you what, Belmont scared the dickens out of me. I was scared to death <laughs> and I was not comfortable in that environment. And I, maybe it was because I was student teaching, teaching typewriting back in the day, <laughs> but it was a non-starter for me. And that got me into my business career, but that was different for you. You actually taught for a while, right? I did. And it's interesting because I got a secondary education degree at UD. And I also went right back after I graduated. I was teaching, but I also went back and got my master's at the same time in school administration. So I said, wow, I'll teach for a while, do the high school. I ended up teaching high school math at Belmont. I said, I'll do that for a while. Then hopefully I can kind of blend and bleed into the administrative side of being in an education. Unfortunately, it never happened. For whatever reason, and after teaching there five years at Belmont High School, we went on strike in 1979. I never went back after that strike and made a total career change and ended up at AT&T thanks to a friend of mine from UD. Ah, that's interesting. You know, I was reflecting on your career choice. We're going to talk about a lot of years that you had at LexisNexis and doing customer service work and leading customer service organizations and developing your extraordinary leadership skills. But I wonder if the foundation of you, Steve, it doesn't come from those early days where 
you wanted to be an educator to give back to the community and to help young people develop themselves. And is that a little bit of your structure and your foundation of being a, a leader? I think it's that. And I will tell you, and I've talked to others about this, being a high school teacher is tough because I don't think you're ever going to find a tougher audience. And I think you probably experienced that in your student teaching at Belmont. It's a tough audience. They know when you're not prepared. They know when you're not sincere. They know when you really don't want to be there. (laughs) I laugh. They know when you're hungover. They can read you. Kids are not stupid. And so I think I really kind of formulate, I said I had to have my game on every day and I worked hard at doing that because I knew those kids were going to be ready. Most of them wanted to be there. They wanted you to teach them. So I think I kind of got that kind of first inkling of that kind of leadership foundation that you had to be on your game in front of those kids, much like leaders do in the corporate world or in the nonprofit world or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's a great point. You can't fake it. They know what's going on, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you were at uh, LexisNexis, you had various roles off and on in different areas, but it sounds like the majority of the time you had a pretty large customer service organization. How do you go from being an education major, looking at trying to get into administration, into business, and then end up in customer service? Was that just something that fell into your lap that was just luck or did you intend to go that direction because you had some strengths and talents in that area? It's interesting. When I first started at Lexus, I was hired by a good friend of mine who I worked with at AT AT&T, who I think has been on your show, Keith Hawk. He and I knew each other well from AT&T and he hired me into a tech support role. And so I was supporting customers, but it was a support role, kind of like customer support and customer service. And I took to that role. I really liked it. It felt good to me because I was working with LexisNexis people, but I was also working with uh, our customers. So it was a great mix. And I've always been real customer focused, even when I was at AT AT&T. And even when I was teaching school, I considered my students my customers. And so I've always been real customer focused and really big into customer service. So I think it was kind of a natural that I didn't really think about until I got to Lexis started doing what I was doing in the tech support role. And then people saying, hey, you know, there's a customer service organization that I think you might be good being a part of. So it kind of flowed kind of naturally, Don. I don't know that I had any great passion for it until I started getting into it a little bit. Yeah, it makes sense. It sounds to me like you've got this great foundation of wanting to give back, wanting to help people. You find a way to support the internal organization, but you love working with customers as well. And then you start to notice that maybe you could be a a good leader. But when we talked initially, you said, Don, I I was pretty much a strong introvert. And you had some funny stories about how much of an introvert you were with your first dates with your wife, Barb, right? Yes. And I have to laugh at that. But a lot of people would say, no, wait a minute, you got an education degree, you're a strong introvert, and you're just getting into business. How does a guy like that learn leadership? When did you first try to figure out or when did other people point out to you that you might be a good leader? It's interesting because we talked a little bit about my educational experience and wanting to become an administrator. And I think when that didn't happen, Don, and I went on strike in the school district and didn't go back, I soured a little bit on being a manager and a leader. And I didn't think much about it. And in my eight years at AT AT&T, I was never in a leadership role. I was never a manager. I project managed some large projects, but I never thought that much about it. And then going back to what I said earlier, when I got to Lexus and got in the tech support group and I saw Keith and how he operated as a leader and as a manager of that team, and I was around some other people that were good examples of leadership and leader, 
I started thinking, wow, I really enjoy this tech support team. Boy, if Keith ever moved on, I'd love to have that role. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. He did move on and someone else on the team got it. But after that person left, I did get the role as the manager of that team. And I think right then, Don, the light bulb kind of went off again for me saying, you know, this feels good to me. And I always encourage people when they when they first become a leader or in a leadership role, it's good to start with a small team and it's good to start in an area you're, you're familiar with. So I was had the luxury of both. The team that I was on was, it was like seven or eight people and I knew what that team did. So I was set up, I think, for success. And, you know, kind of like I said, the light bulb went off. It was kind of a natural, wow, this feels good. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm a leader. That's for others to determine. But I kind of just kind of hit right then that as I move forward in my career, that's what I want to do. And it's interesting because 27 out of the 31 years at LexisNexis, I was in management roles and leading teams. So once I got past that tech support group, I think I led teams from then on until the time I retired. It's so interesting to me. I hope our listeners are picking up on what you're saying, Steve. You you got inspired by great leaders. So maybe initially there wasn't this spark of, I'm just going to go be a leader because that's what I'm meant to do. But when the light bulb went off, you had this epiphany like, hey, I really like this area that I'm leading. So you must have had some technical and functional expertise. And I was a small team. And, and in your heart of hearts, you probably believed that you could do it. You could actually be the leader of that team. And your belief probably grew because you saw yourself being good at it. You liked it. You had a passion for it. And you're willing to take the risk to be a leader. And I felt comfortable in it, Don. I really did. It, I'm not going to tell you everything went perfectly. And, you know, <laughs> it was just a walk in the park doing that. Because I always tell people, management is tough. Be careful what you ask for if you want to go into management. It's tough. You know that. You're a strong leader have been through, you know, many situations like that, but I felt comfortable overall. And I felt good about the role and what I was doing and kind of the the foundation that I had from a variety of experiences. Let's talk a little bit more about that concept of learning from other leaders. You've mentioned the good leaders. I assume you've had some bad leaders as well. But as a person that's trying to grow in their career, and many of our listeners, I believe, are trying to figure it out for themselves, how did you use the people and the examples around you in a way that helped you grow? Were there intentional ways that you use both sides of the equation? One way is it kind of happens naturally as you're going about the business of working at LexisNexis. But even in my personal life and in things I did socially and things like that, I'm very observant. I'm not the smartest guy on the block, but I'm very observant. And so when I was at LexisNexis, obviously I had some good managers and leaders that I worked for, but I was always observing people. And, and, you know, I talked before about the story. There's a woman, uh, there, her name's Kathy, is the security guard in Building 4 at LexisNexis. And she has been there for many, many years. And when you walk in that building, she knows your name. Now, that stuck with me because you know how important it is when you're walking down the hall at LexisNexis and you walk by somebody and you call them by their first name, even though you might not know them that well. So just by observing Kathy, I picked that up. So I would pick up little nuggets along the way and sometimes bigger nuggets from different people throughout LexisNexis. And a lot of times I would do it consciously. I would set up info shares and I would encourage people 
who want to look to get into a leadership role, look across the business and say, gosh, there's Don Frerichs. I like his leadership style. I want to send him an email note and see if I can't set up an hour with him and just talk to him. I'm not looking for another job. I'm not looking to move on or anything like that. I want to increase my skills. So I'm going to sit down and do InfoShares with people that I think will help me grow. That's great. Uh, Steve, just for our, our listeners, Alexis Nexus, the building you're talking, Kathy was in, I think is a six-story building. There were probably, what would you say, like three, 400 people that worked in that one building at least? Yes. It, it housed kind of the executives and a lot of salespeople, a lot of customer service people. And, you know, like I said, recognizing you and calling you by name is, I mean, that's so important, I think. It means so much, such a little thing. But it's something I picked up and I had over 350 people when I had the customer service and customer support organization. And I made it a point to learn every one of them by name so that I could, if I saw them in the hall or if I saw them out in a social environment, I could say their name, I could introduce them to my wife, whatever the case may be. That's important to me. And I think it's very important to them. And I think it makes them feel good. No doubt. Uh, as you know, I had Richard Davis, the U.S. Bank Corp CEO and chairman, and now he's the CEO of Make-A-Wish on uh, previously. And he said the same thing. He felt like learning people's names was one of the most important things he did. I mean, he had 73,000 employees that worked for him. I said, well, you didn't do it for 73,000, did you? He said, oh, but that he knew a thousand people's names and just because he felt it was a priority. So I, I appreciate what you're saying is that leaders do the little things that are really important. And you're also saying the observation of what works and what's a powerful leadership skill and action that you need to take. You can see that. You don't have to go to a course. You can see that through other leaders that are around you because you can notice what works with them. What about the bad leaders? What do you do with that information? Because I know we've all worked for bad leaders. Sometimes what we tend to do is complain about them and we get depressed and we get angry and you know we think they should be thrown out and, and they're not bad people, but there are plenty of examples of bad leadership around us all the time. What did you do with those examples? How did you make sense out of it? How did you use it? It's a great question because a lot of people think, what the heck could you learn from a bad leader or a bad boss? And I guess I would highlight two things. A, probably the most obvious, is I found a lot of things that they did that I knew I didn't want to do. You know, if I'm looking at my leadership traits and what I want to be good at and what I want to be known for, they had traits that I didn't want to be known for. Maybe it's micromanaging. Maybe it's in a staff meeting, taking someone to task in front of his peers and embarrassing him. And, you know, that person just is demoralized by that. So there were traits that bad leaders and bad bosses have that I said, I do not want to do those. Those are not going to be on my list. So that's probably part A. Part B, most of them are extremely bright and they have some talents that I liked and that I took. They might have been bad bosses. They might have been bad leaders, but they had traits and talents that were good and things that I wanted to emulate. So even though they might have been bad leaders, there were two or three things that they did really well that I'm like, wow. For example, I'm, I'll tell you, Don, I'm not very strategic. I never have been, and it's something I've always tried to work on. But a couple of the bad bosses I had, the bad leaders I had worked for, they were very strategic. And I learned from that. And it helped me. So I tried to make the best of a not so good situation by knowing there were traits they had I didn't want to emulate and taking what they did well and they did some things very well, taking those and saying, boy, I could really use those because they could help me become a better leader. Yeah, I get that, Steve, 100%. You know, the two other guys we've had on from Lexus, Keith Hawk and Tom Ogburn, I would say are both 
extroverts and you know them well. You're probably more on the introvert side, as you said before. Did you find that it was hard for you to be an outstanding leader with your introversion? And if so, could you speak to that? Because I think some of our listeners might kind of be battling the same thing. Some introverts say, well, I can't be a good leader. I'm you know, more quiet. I, I don't speak up in meetings as much as the extroverts do. And they get challenged with that, the doubt and the fears that extroverts can't be good leaders. It's not true. The research says they can, but How did you overcome that? Again, another great question. A couple of things. I call myself a closet extrovert. I like my quiet. I told you the story, and I'm going to repeat it briefly because I think it's very important. My senior year in college, I started dating my future wife, a teammate of mine. I played basketball at UD. A teammate of mine set me up with her on a date, and I picked her up and said, hi, how are you? Took her out to the car, opened the door. We went to a movie. Never said a word the whole time driving to the movie. Never said a word at the movie. Drove all the way home, dropped her off at her house that she lived off campus at UD and said, thank you. I had a good time. And that was all I said the whole time. (laughs) And I I think I told you this. She walked in and the people, the girls she lived with, the women at UD said, so are you going to go out with him again? You know, and she said, I don't know. He never said anything. Well, the the point of the story is slowly but surely I opened up and I started talking more. And then when I became a teacher, you had to talk. You're in front of students, you had to talk. So while I will classify myself as somewhat of an introvert, I think people who have known me now for a while at LexisNexis would probably call me kind of a mix because I'm a people person. I love, I mean, like you can tell by the way I talk and so on. I I get excited and I'm upbeat in my personality. So I've slowly taken myself out of that, knowing there are times when I have to be an extrovert. I mean, I'm sorry, when you're on a call with a large law customer at LexisNexis, you probably can't be an introvert. You have to crawl out of that space and become more extroverted. So I kind of pick my spots. And like I said, I call myself kind of a closet extrovert. But I also agree with you, Don. I think you make a great point. You don't have to be like the late Robin Williams to be a good leader. Don't have to be, you know, someone like that. You can be quiet. I love people that have what I call a quiet confidence. They really know what they're talking about, but they don't brag about it. They're not real pushy about it. So they're kind of introverted. They're they're what I call quietly confident. But damn, I respect the heck out of those people and the way they present themselves and the way they lead. Absolutely. It sounds to me like you had quiet confidence. Did you ever get feedback through 360 or any other forms of feedback that helped you learn about what you were really good at and what your strengths were? I'm glad you bring that up because I was going to bring it up anyhow. Sean Fitzpatrick, who's the site leader at LexisNexis, and I was a part of his organization. For the last three or four years, he had a leadership conference. Of all his management, he brought in, you know, people that were remote, he brought into town, brought them into Dayton. People that were in Dayton, obviously, were already there. And we had a two-day leadership conference. And we learned, you know, about emotion. We had emotional intelligence sessions. We had breakouts about leadership. And one of the breakouts, the first or second year we had it, was the Zinger Folkman 360. And so everyone had that, you know, had to go through that and do that. It was invaluable to me, and I sense it was invaluable to just about everyone there because of exactly what you said, Don. What great feedback. You not only get kind of rated feedback in different areas, but you also get verbatim comments, you know, where people can say, you know, I wish Steve would do this a little better, or gosh, he's great in front of customers. I wish we could emulate that, or, you know, whatever the case may be. 
I used to do a 360 every year on myself, and it kind of got almost repetitious. So there was a little break before I did Zinger Folkman. And I know you're familiar, probably familiar with that survey. It's great. And a lot of people, the first thing they do when they get do those surveys, they, you know, they automatically go to the negative stuff and go, oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. I'm never going to be a leader. And most of the time, that's the minimum. You know, it's the small stuff that's in, in those 360s. Now, if there's a, a wild flare that goes up, you know, that, a trait that you've got to fix or you're not going to be a leader, obviously, they need to take note about that. But they need to look at the good and the bad and because you grow from both of those. You know, you grow from things you need to work on and you grow from things you're good at because you want to get better at them. That's interesting. You, we didn't rehearse this, but Steve, the only 360 degree assessment that I use today is the Zenger Folkman assessment because it's absolutely the best in the marketplace. It does the best job of comparing you to 100,000 plus worldwide leaders. The research is very, very strong. It's a statistically driven instrument that allows you to really evaluate, are you an extraordinary leader or not? And if not, what are the three to five things that you need to do to become one? I thank you for bringing that up. I, yeah. I wanted to make a plug for them because I think they I, are fantastic. I've never seen a 360 so thorough and so good at bringing results back to you that you can make actionable. It was excellent. Just Absolutely. excellent. And for our listeners, if you've not ever checked out Zenger Folkman, you can go to their website, www.zengerfolkman, and learn about their 360 and other assessment tools that they have. Steve, in your development, though, the 360 certainly sounded important. I know there's a couple other things that happened to you that helped accelerate your development. I think you've told a story about the leadership challenge, which I'd love to hear more about, and then also your experience with an executive coach. Those two things I think could be helpful to our listeners. Back in the early 90s, when I first became a manager, I had the opportunity to take a class called the Leadership Challenge. It was a two-day class. It was off-site, but it was sponsored by LexisNexis, and it was presented by a gentleman by the name of Tom Hoyer and Steve Coates, and two excellent, excellent leadership trainers, if so to speak, leadership coaches. So we went through that two-day course, and there were probably 25 of us in the class, most of us from the customer service organization. Excellent class. The theory behind it and just the kind of things they were teaching you and working on with you were excellent. At the end of that class and the end of the second day, they looked at us all and they said, okay, you have a homework assignment when you leave here today after this class is over. We want you to either think of or write down kind of what leadership traits you want to emulate or use going forward to ensure that you're staying true to yourself and that you're being a good leader, if indeed that's what you want to do. So when I left that class, probably two or three days later, after I've had a time to kind of mull over the class and think about things, I literally sat down and wrote down the qualities, the leadership qualities that I wanted to emulate that I thought would allow me to move towards being an excellent leader. And as you know, there were 12 of them, and I call them my leadership dozen. I have a framed copy in my home office. I used to keep it down at work when I was down on campus at LexisNexis. Someone that worked for me was kind enough to make a really nice copy and put it in a frame for me and give it to me as a gift because she was so impressed by what I had done with those. Don, those have been my guiding lights from that time on. I'm not going to tell you that I haven't learned literally hundreds of other things, but I feel like if I stay true to those 12 qualities everything else will fall into place. And so they've kind of been my guiding lights for the last 10, almost 30 plus years when it comes to what I feel 
will allow me to be the best leader for the people that work with me and for me and around me. So that was very important to me. And it was almost like a life-changing moment for me when it came to being a leader or, you know, wanting to work towards becoming a leader. I hope our listeners hear that, Steve. A life-changing moment doesn't happen a lot to people. No. It's a lifetime. I happen to look at what I got off my bookcase. So this is Cousins and Posner book. I love it. I love it. It's called <laughs> The Leadership Challenge. This was the book that created the workshop that you went to. I love it. And you mentioned the leadership coach. That was also very important. Back when I was working for Keith Hawk, probably early 2000s, Don, probably 2003, 2004, everyone who worked for him, he just said, hey, I have this leadership coach. Her name is Sherry Hauer. You have her services if indeed you want to take advantage of those. And not everyone on his team did, but I said, oh my gosh. And it wasn't because I felt like I was broken and needed someone to fix me. I just felt it would be another wonderful box to get checked to help me become a better leader. And it turned out famously. Keith left that role, but luckily the next boss, the manager that came in that I worked for, allowed me to continue that relationship with Sherry. I learned so much from her. And I will confess, I'll be candid, those two or three years that I worked for her or worked with her after I worked with Keith, they were some tough years for me. I was struggling with a boss that I was not totally enamored with. And she really helped me work through some situations that I'm not sure a LexisNexis internal person could have. She was extremely bright. Her style reminds me a lot of yours. Just so easy to talk to, so easy to work with, so easy to learn things from. And she was kind of a neutral opinion because she didn't work for Lexus. Well, she did work for Lexus, but she didn't work for the organization. She didn't work for me, but she was serving me and supporting me. So it was just a wonderful situation. I could bounce situations off her. I could call her if I was struggling. She talked me off the ledge a couple of times when I was having some really tough times in the role I was in. So I would encourage anyone, if they have the opportunity and want to become a better leader, to secure a leadership coach. Sometimes the business doesn't allow that, and I understand that. But if there's any way possible to do it, I think it's just another kind of tentacle on all those different tentacles that add to you being a good leader. It was invaluable to me. I still stay in touch with her. We exchange pleasantries from time to time, and it was just a wonderful experience A, because she was such a good person, and B, because I learned so much from her. Wow. That's a beautiful expression. I mean, I've I've done a lot of coaching engagements, but I've not heard many people express it as well as you have, Steve. I think there's something, and I, I say this for our listeners, if you've not ever had a coaching relationship, it's a beautiful thing when you can be completely transparent with someone and let your guard down and and know that there are really difficult circumstances in business. Sometimes you just can't figure them out. And it's scary to look yourself in the mirror to say, I don't have the answer for all of this. And some of this stuff is driving me crazy. And good leadership coaches help you unpack and understand yourself, the problem, the organization, and look at options that maybe you wouldn't normally see. So You end up learning leadership, but you're not learning it from a book or a workshop. You're learning it through trying to fix a situation and a problem that you have, right? Totally agree. I mean, I could literally cite literally dozens of situations that we just kind of talk through them. And, you know, as you said, they kind of bring a special kind of a special sauce to the mix 
because of the way they work and so on. Now, I don't know that every leadership coach is that good. Like I said, I've just met you recently, but my impressions of you are, like I said, very similar to what I have with Sherry. And those kind of coaches are invaluable. Invaluable. I agree. Well, we, we like to say oftentimes, you know, do professional athletes have coaches? Yes, of course they do. Do the, you know, the wealthy have that? Yes. You know, we can go down the list of all the people that are supposedly special in our, <laughs> in our culture and say they have coaches, but you know, that's really kind of irrelevant. I mean, you as a leader can learn leadership in a lot of different ways. And you've talked about three great ones, you know, getting feedback through a 360. You've talked about great workshops like the leadership challenge workshop, but then you've also talked about this idea of coaching and, and receiving this very intimate experience with somebody that's willing to walk along your side, hear about your struggles and your frustrations and help you try to make sense out of it. And I, I think there are times in our career where the coach actually accelerates our development faster than any other method because they're there with us. They can help us grow faster by making observations about us that we can't always see ourselves. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you sell yourself as a leadership coach, but I think you've done a great job of explaining that there. I, I, yeah, if you're trying to get in somewhere as a leadership coach, I think you've done a great job of positioning why it's important. Well, and the funny thing is, a, a lot of people, they think they're getting a leadership coach or if they need a leadership coach because they really need fixing. And that's yes. far from the case. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great point. I think that stigma has gone away. I think we yeah. finally have dropped yeah. that, that it's just for people that are broken that, that need help. Thank you for that. I appreciate that a lot. I always think about businesses today, and this is my next question is really going to be relevant because of the whole pandemic thing. And as businesses start to come out of the maybe the pandemic that we're beginning to see so much progress with the vaccine, I wonder if some of those businesses that cut their development of people last year so that they could you know, get through the tough economic time, I wonder if they're going to come back or not to investing in people development again. And so my question to you would be, what do you think businesses need to do to properly develop leaders for the future? couple of things. One that I think of, and you and I talked about this earlier, with COVID, I mean, think of the number of people that are now home-based, working from home virtually. It takes different leadership qualities to work from home. If all your people are now remote to you, you don't get any face-to-face -face time with them. You can't have a one-on-one -on -one in your office where you can look at each other and see facial expressions and all that, even though you can you know, kind of do that over Zoom. I think we're gonna have less people working in the offices now. And I think that presents a unique opportunity, and I call it an opportunity because I think you're gonna to have to hone and fine tune your leadership skills to be effective in that environment. Being excited and upbeat and being a great communicator and so on is oftentimes easier when you're face to face with someone. It's much more difficult when you're on a call because it can be more impersonal. And you can't see a lot of the things that you can see when you're doing face-to-face. -face. So I think that's kind of the first thing. I hope the second thing doesn't come true that you talked about, that because they ratcheted back on development and leadership, that when they come back, they go, well, shoot, that really didn't hurt anything what we did. So I'm hoping there's an increased focus on leadership because of what I just talked about, but also because of what everyone's been through. I think they need to see and see leaders and have leaders leading the way because it's going to be so important that given all that we've been through in the last you know year plus. The other thing, and this is kind of a kind of sticks in my craw, this is a quick fix kind of 
culture these days. Everything happens so fast for people, whether it's through our iPhones or with the computer on the internet, with Google, nobody goes to malls anymore. Everybody does online shopping and everything. I think a lot of people think they can become a leader more quickly now. And they've been in a job for six months and they're looking up and saying, well, shoot, why I'm not coming? I'm not a director right now. So I think it's important for the business Becoming a good leader is a gradual thing. You don't look in the mirror one morning and say, boy, I wish I could become a great leader. And then the next morning you get up and you go, damn, I'm, I am, I'm there. I'm a great leader. So we've put rockets on people's back is what I call it a lot of times because they're very, very smart or because they excelled in a role. But because they excelled in that role might not make them a good leader. So I'm hoping the business will focus on growing leaders I don't want to call it a gradual way because maybe that's not, but in a way that allows them to succeed as we go forward. So many times I've seen people who are in sole contributors role and they're wonderful. They make circle of excellence five times. They've exceeded their numbers every year. And so the business says, boy, that person's going to be a great sales manager. Well, maybe they aren't. Maybe they're a great sales rep and they're not going to be a great sales manager. So I hope as we go forward, that we look very carefully and it's kind of a gradual as they're looking to grow people and they're looking to increase, you know, the number of leaders we have in the business. I hope they look at it as kind of a, as a process that it, you know, it takes time and that they're willing to invest in the time and the training and the coaches. And, you know, some of the things you talked about that they got away from, you know, during COVID. It's a great observation. It does take time and it takes consistent effort. I know that some of our listeners may not have the ability to influence their their organizations or the businesses they work for to make an investment in leadership development and and they may be frustrated. So for those people, let's think out loud, you know, you're talking about this need to, to stay in the, the process long term, to stay consistent, to learn from the good leaders, the bad leaders. What could you recommend to any of our listeners that might be saying, what else could I do to do a better job developing myself? How could I accelerate my development? I think a couple of things. Again, one, we talked about info shares before. And I think those are extremely important. If I were talking to someone, and I have, I'm still mentoring a couple of people even though I've retired, there's still a couple of people at LexisNexis that I mentor and work with on a regular basis. And sometimes I think they're mentoring me, Don, because I get more out of it than I'm sure they do. But I encourage them to go out and learn about other parts of the business that they may not know anything about. They may be interested in it, but they may not know anything about it. So we talked about info shares, but info shares going out and learning more about the business, because I think that makes you more valuable. And it expands your horizons as to where you might be able to go and and become a leader. So I think that's extremely important in doing that. And so meeting with people that will help them learn more about the business and help them grow in their careers. So that, you know, that's probably the first thing. The second thing is I'm hoping they realize that even though they may not be leading people and not in a management role and in a sole contributor role, that they can still be a leader. And they can remain in that role and still lead and do the kind of things that leaders do. So I think that's important too. The third thing, I guess, I would encourage them to do what I did if they haven't already. And it's funny, I think I told you, I I did a breakout on the leadership dozen. And when we were at the end of the breakout, I said, I had handouts there. And I said, this paper's lying down the middle. On the left is 
all the good traits that you think a good leader or you want to have as a good leader. So kind of what I did. And then on the right side was traits that you know you don't want to emulate, something we talked about when we talked about bad leaders and, and so on. So when I did that breakout, I think some people initially thought, you know, well, shoot, I've been in management roles for 20 years. What can Hess tell me? that I don't already know about leadership qualities and traits and so on. Well, I think a lot of them walked out of there and said, holy mackerel, A, I've never thought of that. And B, I'm going to go do what he said he did. So I would encourage those people who are looking to enhance their leadership skills to do that. They don't have to go to official class to do that. And I've had some people who left that class who sent me lists of what they came up with after they took the sat in the breakout. So I would encourage people who are wanting, you know, kind of new to leadership or wanting to get into leadership or whatever to do that. You got to have guiding lights. I know you do. I know good leaders do. They may not have them written down, but I know Keith Hawk and Tom Ogburn and I could go on and on, you know, Don Ferrix. I know you have in your mind the kind of traits that you want to emulate to be a good leader. So I would encourage people who are looking to get into leadership to do that. That's a great suggestion. I think in the info shares that you talked about too, I mean, you could literally ask someone about those kind of qualities that are important to them as a leader. And I think one of the things our listeners could do to add on to what you're saying is just maybe you interview people about how they lead others and what they do to become a great leader. And there are many, many good leaders that would love to be engaged in a conversation like that. One of the things I know that you've said to me, Steve, is that sometimes we forget the power of doing a good job in the job that we're currently in. And I'd also like to say to the listeners, as I give you the the credit for this, is that it's hard sometimes not to look for the next job. It's hard to not look for the next promotion. And it's hard to just put your head down and do the very best possible work that you can and try to create results that are beyond anything that's ever been created in that role before. And I believe that things, good things happen to people when they do stay consistent, when they contribute that way. And I think that was part of what you meant when you shared that with me when we talked initially. It's funny, Don. I'll never forget when I had customer service, I call them call takers because they basically were taking calls from our customers. One of the absolute best call takers was in the legal, what we call the legal split. So She was taking legal calls from our large law customers and so on. And I used to do listening hours when I had customer service. So I'd hook in. I couldn't say anything, but I could listen to the calls that they were doing. And I didn't do it to make them better. Shoot, they knew more about talking to these customers than I did. I did it to learn. But I did a listening hour with this woman. And at the end of the listening hour, I said, do you have any questions or anything about, you know, the listening hour? And she said, Steve, I'm a senior consultant. I don't want to manage or lead a team. I love what I'm doing. I'm good at it. I'm growing in the job, but I feel like there's a stigma attached to me because I've been doing this, you know, I've been a senior consultant for X years. And I told her, I said, look, as long as you're growing in the job and you're learning new things and the customers and the company value what you're doing, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time worrying about it. Please don't feel like there's a stigma attached to someone who wants to continue doing what they're doing, but they just want to grow and get better in that role. So Don, I thank you for bringing that up. It's a great point. And I hope people take that to heart because not everyone can be a manager. Not everyone wants to be what we call a leader, you know, where you have people reporting to you. You can be a damn good senior consultant and still be a leader as long as you're growing in the job and learning and so on. 
That's a great point. Only other thing I can think of today as we're talking about what else our leaders could do. I, I noticed that, took a note that suggested you had three mentors in your life. And I don't know if I've really had any really good mentors in my life. And what I like to say to our listeners is find a mentor, find somebody that you can have a relationship with. If you don't have the wherewithal to get a personal coach, as Steve talked about, find somebody that, that can take you under their wings and they already are a good leader and they're willing to work with you to find your leadership. But y- your three mentors were one, my mom, two, Don- Don Donaher, my college basketball coach, and probably Keith Hawk. Keith Hawk, yeah. yeah. Wow. It's funny. People laugh when, I mean, I'm my mom's son, and I know that sounds corny and crazy, but she was the most wonderful person and had the most unbelievable, she had leadership traits, and she never went to college. She grew up on a dairy farm. She was just a good old girl, so to speak. But My gosh, she was just, when I think about how sincere and honest and trusting she was, that's kind of where, you know, I kind of got this. I mean, I'm hoping I formulated my kind of inner self back then. Mm. And then Don Donahue, who I don't know either whether any of the listeners would know him. He's a Hall of Fame college basketball coach. You and I both know him well because we went to UD. Same thing. The most honest, sincere, trusting I mean, if you told me the world was going to end tomorrow, I'd start getting my things in order because he was just so believable, so humble. We talked about that quiet confidence, just unbelievable. And the same thing with Keith. You know, if I looked at the traits Keith had across my mom, Don Donaher and Keith Hawk, those traits were very, very consistent. And some of them are emulated in my leadership dozen, I think, that I presented. And I will tell you this, and I'm not telling you this because I'm on your podcast, I see a lot of that in you when we've talked and some of the things that you kind of, as we're having conversations, you come back with or, you know, you bring up as examples. So it's, I do, I think it's extremely important to have a mentor, maybe not a fit, you know, it doesn't have to be official. It could be just someone you have coffee or beers with every so often, but the conversation comes out because it, you know, what you talk about helps you and helps you learn. And like I said, I learn as much from the people I mentor then they learn from me. Uh, and I've told them that. I come away from those meetings smarter because of some of the things they've asked me or some of the things they've done in their work life. So true. Well, that's the kind of mentor you want to pick, listeners, is somebody that loves doing it so much that they're going to learn from you. Today, we've spent a lot of time with Steve talking about a lot of different things, but more than anything, Steve, I think we ended exactly where I wanted us to end, which was trying to understand the foundations of leadership. You know, you've gone on to do great things, not just because you were super intelligent and super driven, but because of the character qualities of who you are as a human being. And I believe you've made a difference in the world because you started from college day one, trying to figure out how you can make a difference in the world. And you're going to be an educator. And in the end, you were. You're an educator because you're a great leader, a great mentor. You tried to make a difference in not only your clients' lives, but the lives of all the people that work for you. And you made that kind of impact. And I hope that you know that you've made a huge contribution to the world by being who you are and being a great leader. So thank you for sharing your heart with all of us. I greatly appreciate the time. You are so easy to talk with. I always pride myself in trying to meet new people that I enjoy being around. And aside from enjoying the conversation, the podcast and the conversations we've had, I've now met someone else that I have a high level of respect for. And that's very important to me. So I thank you just for the gift of your time that you spent with me and for being a great example to people. Thank you. And I'll say to our listeners, if you have a question or if you'd like to have a copy of Steve's Leadership Dozen, 
I'm sure that Steve wouldn't mind that we give that out to you. Please go to talentmagnetinstitute.com and you can leave your question or a request there and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Again, Steve, thank you so much. And thanks to the listeners for hanging in there with us today. Have a great day. Thanks, Don. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.